Hi, welcome to another episode of The Frame Podcast. This is the Changemakers series, and I'm your host, Shauna McEachern. Changemakers is about curiosity and provoking multiple perspectives around common themes. The themes we want to explore are about the context we need to figure out to build better youth mental health and substance use services and supports. We have a country filled with goodwill, expertise, and solutions but we have persistent issues of fragmentation, services not matched to need, siloed funding, and a deficit of coaching and mentorship across the sector. We need to better understand how to build a foundation of cohesion around a national agenda that enhances our individual and collective ability to collaborate, learn, and design with impact in mind. I want to hear from those who are working to figure this out and ask them, what will it take Join me as we dive deep into provocative and insightful conversations. I'll be speaking with funders, researchers, thought leaders, youth, caregivers, and service providers to uncover what it will take to build the youth mental health and substance use sector that we all deserve. So today with me, I have Mark Beckles, Dr. Joanna Henderson, and Caitlin Greer. We're going to be talking about what is it going to take to transform the youth mental health and substance use system so that it's designed with young people in mind, and we have a cohesive and collective vision about what we want to see and what we want to do. Mark, do you want to start off and maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, thanks, Shauna, for having me on the podcast. It is my privilege uh, and honor to be here. As Vice President of Social Impact and Innovation at RBC Corporate Citizenship, I have the uh, privilege of leading our social impact programs, the first of which is uh, RBC Future Launch, the second of which is Emerging Artists, and the third is Tech for Nature. And all three of these uh, programs certainly align to solving for some of the most pressing uh, social issues of the day, whether it is, uh, you know, being better stewards of of the environment and addressing uh, climate risk, or thinking about how we support artists across the country, across multiple genres, or in the case of uh, Future Launch, which is really the portfolio that brings us together today, uh, thinking about how we empower and prepare young people for the future of work. That's great, Mark. Thank you. And it it sounds like a lot of investment into building and designing the future that we want to see. And as you mentioned, we're here today to talk a little bit about corporate investment and how corporate investment can actually be a catalyst for driving transformation and change in meaningful and impactful ways, specifically within the youth mental health and substance use sector. And so I'm curious a little bit about RBC Futures Launch, and I'd love to know from you, why do you think this program is needed? Well, thanks for that question, Shauna. And, you know, I would start by saying that, you know, over the uh, years, RBC has uh, been a significant social partner in community, investing quite significantly in a range of different social uh, issues. But it occurred to us a number of years ago that particularly in the youth space, there was an opportunity to be a little bit more focused on the needs of young people as informed by young people as we think about readiness for the future of work and all of the things that uh, sort of need to be addressed, whether ensuring that young people had access to job-ready skills, 
or job ready networks or access to practical work experience and most fundamentally access to mental health supports and services. And it's important to note that these were the issues or the areas of opportunity that were identified by young people. Historically, funders tend to decide, you know, what they think their funding priorities should be. And in the case of RBC Future Launch, we actually canvassed the country, uh, held a number of youth forums right across the country, coast to coast to coast. And in listening to young people, we designed a program in response to the issues and areas of concern that they identified. And mental well-being uh, was among the top areas of priority. And so Future Launch uh, emerged with uh, youth mental well-being at the center of the, of the strategy. And we're so pleased to say that in response to that, we've now established this program, which is a $500 million 10-year commitment to address the issue of preparing young people for the future of work. And within RBC Future Launch, there's a significant focus on mental well-being, uh, supports and services to ensure that young people have access to the supports and services that they need, depending on the area of mental health that is of concern to them. Thanks so much for that, Mark. And and one thing that I'm hearing through what you're sharing about the purpose of RBC Futures Launch and some of the other programming that you mentioned is really about listening to young people and what they need and, and what they want to see built uh, into the solutions that we're developing for them. And so it, it sort of ties into this concept that I've really been thinking a lot about, which is how do we build a collective vision and who informs that vision. So I'm curious about how you think corporate investment in the youth mental health and substance use sector can be decided, how it should be decided. You spoke a bit to the sort of national engagement with young people that you've done. And I love hearing about talking directly to the source or directly to the people who are going to be impacted. But fundamentally, how do we ensure investment is informed by sector experts about the type of investments that are needed in an ongoing and continuous way? Thanks for that question, uh, Shauna. And, and it's an important one because I think, you know, historically, whether it be funders or governments tend to take a, a funding approach that doesn't often or historically has not taken the beneficiary, the end user into consideration where programs are built for and or sometimes with the end user in mind, but hardly ever are programs built by or informed by the end user in mind. And so back to my earlier point around canvassing the country and understanding the pressing needs of young people, I can honestly tell you that Future Launch uh, was built by young people. And within that context, we were able then to think about how do we create this, this navigation, this pathway, and this network of partners writ large across the country that allow us to respond to the needs of young people, recognizing in the case of mental well-being that mental well-being uh, affects all aspects of, of one's life, regardless of what life stage one is at. And then within that context, relying on experts in the space, uh, relying on research, relying on partners to say, how do we create awareness? How do we provision navigation? How do we provision tools? How do we influence and inform 
players in the space based on what we learn in the execution of the strategy to say, here is what we're doing well. Here are the opportunities for a more seamless, a more organized sort of infrastructure, if you will, to ensure that we can mitigate the increasing effect that mental health is having on the social lives of young people and recognizing that in the case of Future Launch, we can build all the human and social capital that we want in preparing young people for work through networks or skills or job experience, but that all that human capital will unwind if young people do not feel or have a sense of, of resilience. And so how do we do that? How do we create the tools that the ability for young people to access supports and services, you know, when and if they need them. Thanks, Mark. And I think a very resonant piece that you're speaking to when we think about the importance of elevating, augmenting, and valuing lived experience as a form of expertise so that we are building systems, programming, and solutions that are really defined by the people who are going to use them or have experience of using them. One thing that I'm also thinking about as I hear you, you speak to this is that really RBC is, is a success story in this way about that transformation that you're talking about from sort of more traditional previous corporate funding being maybe informed and driven by a different form of expertise to shifting more to being informed by sort of this end user expertise, or in this case, youth themselves. And I think one of the things that's really interesting for us to consider as a kind of comprehensive group of individuals and experts that are trying to make change in this way is that we often are described as a country that has a lot of siloed funding um, or we have a lot of pilot projects and that we're sometimes criticized as having very little investment in sustainability or succession planning for the sector and not really focused on an aligned vision. How do you think that corporate funding can help us shift away from this sort of reality to this more sustained, collaborative, and comprehensive approach so that young people, their families, and their communities are benefiting from us all collectively working towards a common goal or vision? That is a great question, Shauna. Thank you for asking. I think one of the roles that uh, corporate funding uh, can play is that it allows us to cut through the clutter. It allows us to cut through bureaucracy and move directly to solutions that actually deliver immediate outcomes uh, or meaningful outcomes uh, for, for young people. Corporate funding actually then creates the opportunity to say, here is what's working, here is what is possible. And then of course, to what I would say is serve up models uh, that can then be adapted and scaled and become part of a national, more holistic approach to addressing some of these larger issues. You know, in the case of uh, RBC and, and Future Launch in particular, the program is built on responsiveness to the needs of young people as identified by young people. We then challenge ourselves to think about how are these programs or how is this program inclusive? How does it enable prosperity? How does it enable wellness? And to your point about siloed approach to funding or a siloed approach to programs, because Future Launch is national in nature, and because we are supporting a network of over 400 charitable partners across the four pillars of Future Launch, 
we actually then get to see what the opportunities are in the intersection. How does, for example, youth mental well-being intersect with the arts? Or how does it intersect with climate? How does it intersect with the future of work? And if you then begin to tell this story and share what that framework actually looks like, you begin to see the opportunity around having a national strategy to support mental health. You begin to see the importance of a national strategy that supports education, that supports healthcare more more broadly. Then what emerges is this coalition of the willing, this coalition of partners that are beginning to inform and influence the, the conversation in ways, the conversation and policy in ways that, but for corporate funding, a lot of the work that we do would perhaps not be happening or would be happening in the abstract without connectivity to a larger, a larger opportunity. Mark, I really love this piece that you're talking about in relation to learning. And I think a lot of what you're talking about here is building connectivity and learning from that connectivity or those, those explorations, those understandings, those new skills that are being developed. You're really speaking to me about the importance of us working together to understand more about what works, what's not working, what we want to leverage and what we want to scale. And I think one of the things that we all need to think about is sort of how do we work collectively moving forward? How do we create enabling contexts and enabling situations and environments that we can collectively work together? I'd love to know from your perspective, what's an exciting next step that we can all take together? Young people, caregivers, researchers, service providers, funders, and policymakers to improve outcomes for youth. I would say that the uh, opportunity continues to be that we convene uh, on the issue. We surface areas of opportunity uh, in the space. We continue to place young people at the center of the conversation. I would go as far as to say we demonstrate humility by placing young people in the center of these conversations and allowing them to surface for us what their particular uh, needs needs are. I think sometimes we rely so heavily on the science that we don't listen to funders. And sometimes funders uh, rely so heavily on their influence as funders that they don't listen to the science. And the science, the scientists and the funders sometimes don't listen to <laughs> the uh, to the end user, to youth, to society more uh, more broadly. And then of course there is the role of policy in all of this. My point is that as we connect and convene more frequently on these big social issues, we can actually get to a place where we understand the resources and the talent that we have available to address these these issues. And certainly uh, mental well-being would be, from my perspective, at the very top of the list, given what young people have been telling us how do, how do we now parse, you know, what young people are telling us in terms of, you know, eight in 10 young people have expressed uh, concern around how the pandemic is going to affect the future? How do we think about the fact that six in, six in 10 young people believe that they can achieve a, a fulfilling career despite the challenges that, that face them? How do we move that from six in 10 to 10 out of 10? How do we think about 
you know, the fact that 51% of young people have told us that the pandemic has had a negative impact on their social, uh, social lives and mental health. How do we together as a collective remediate that so that rather than it be 51% that are negatively impacted by this pandemic over the long term, we can reduce that number by thinking about mitigation strategies that actually ensure that young people uh, really do feel resilient. But we cannot get there if we are not having the right conversations. We cannot get there unless we all, each stakeholder, understands their role in the collective to address these big social issues. And then when we look at this demographically, because it is important that we dissect how mental health impacts different demographics across this country differently. There cannot be one shoe fits all. And if we're going to do this in an equitable way, we need to understand how mental health affects different people by community, by identity, and so on. And then the last piece I would say is that at a policy or at a national level, there's got to be greater seamlessness across provinces and across uh, cities insofar as accessing supports and services. It is unfortunate that across Canada, we seem to have different policies and protocols and and points of access, depending on the province uh, in which we live, where if you then move to another province, you then have to wait in line. It does not make sense to me if we are one country where we have one central government funding public health, but then where your entitlement or your access changes depending on how you navigate across this country. And that is particularly acute for youth who, because they are young people, don't have necessarily the information or the know-how to navigate an already complex system that is challenging for adults, let alone young people. So those are some of the things that I think as we connect and convene together as policymakers, as funders, as scientists and researchers, as caregivers, and as youth, uh, we can begin to address this issue more fulsome. Thanks for those reflections, Mark. And I think hearing you speak about the importance of all the different players and stakeholders understanding the role that they can have to play so that we can work collaboratively and collectively in partnership is really invigorating, especially as you speak about some of the big pieces that we have to overcome, inequitable access. You talked about equity and service, a recognition that young people are not homogenous and do not, do not have necessarily the same experiences as they're trying to access health services and and specifically in this case, mental health and substance use services, the importance of dismantling some of the inequities within our system and rebuilding a system of service that is informed and supported by all of these different stakeholders and the roles that they can bring and the supports that they can bring. And I have an additional question for you that, that you're making me think of right now. And I guess hearing you sort of reflect about the journey that RBC has gone through as a corporate investor in the space and funder to really trying to base that in what the sector needs, being a partner that contributes to that cohesive national vision. And that's really empowering young people's voice in relation to equity and also their lived experience. I want to know, what do you think is needed to better support corporate investment from the rest of the sector? 
what's going to be an enabling factor for continued corporate investment in this way that you've talked about in this really meaningful way? I think thought leadership is key to building and sustaining awareness uh, within the corporate sector of the need to support and address some of these big social issues. A lot of times, corporations don't know what they don't know. And many oftentimes will write checks and support initiatives based on how you know the issue aligns to their strategic priorities. And quite frankly, I, I get that. But more fundamentally, I would say that there's an opportunity for corporations to really vet their community investment through a broader ESG lens with a focus on the social piece that then says, how through our investments are we positively impacting the lives of beneficiaries on the other end of a program? That's one. The other piece then is moving from this notion of funder to partner. For most corporations and, dare say, many individuals, it is easy to write a check, no matter how big or how small, to support or respond to an issue. Partnering requires a different level of engagement, a different level of awareness, a different level of understanding. It also requires what I would describe as corporate humility. It requires corporate empathy. And when you introduce those attributes into the mix, you begin to realize that in order to affect social change well, you have to listen more and you have to collaborate more and you have to partner more and you have to be willing to sort of subordinate your corporate ambition to the social good that you can do as an organization. And so when you take all of those things into consideration, you begin to change your approach to community investment that is anchored in partnerships that are responsive to the needs of the communities that that we serve versus writing checks and branding programs for the sake of writing checks and branding programs just because you can. And social, these kinds of social issues require deeper thought, deeper consideration, deeper collaboration if we are to change the circumstances and, and really fuel the prosperity, the economic prosperity of this country in a way that is inclusive and that everyone shares in the economic bounty that this country has to offer. That's great, Mark. And I think a lovely way for us to wrap up our conversation today with sort of that insight into what's it going to take moving forward? What's our opportunity? And I think one of the things that I've heard from you is that from an RBC corporate partner perspective, there's a lot of goodwill to work together and to move our system forward and to really support what's needed for young people, their families, and their communities. So thank you for today. Thanks so much, Shauna, for having me.